But the problem is the way in which we try to change people almost always backfires. People don't resist change. They resist being changed. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Winston Churchill, to improve is to change and to be perfect is to change often. My guest today, Peter Bregman, helps people make the necessary changes to become exceptional leaders. He's the founder of Bregman Partners and was named the number one executive coach in the world by leading global coaches. Peter's coached C-suite executives in premier companies such as CBS, Mars, and Citi, and is also the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of multiple books, including a new one, You Can Change Other People, which would be available by the time you hear this podcast. Peter, welcome. Happy to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Thanks so much. It's really great to be with you. So I always like to start uh, a little bit earlier, and I know you've been in the business of developing leaders uh, for a while. Like, what drew you to that field early in your career, and what was your what was your first job? You know, actually, my first job really was—I mean, first, first, first jobs—very entrepreneurial. You know, like <laughs> I cut a bunch of flowers out of my parents' lawn and yeah. and uh, and sold them on the street uh, until I was caught. But it, you know, I did uh, probably the only. Jewish kid that was selling like Christmas cards door to door. Like I did a lot of these sort of entrepreneurial. Actually, probably not. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) Um, And then I got very involved in politics. I was was the youngest member of the board of Americans for Democratic Action. I was in high school going to DC uh, for, you know, board meetings every couple of months. And I went to college specifically for public policy. I went to a school with a really good public policy school and very quickly got disillusioned. It's a longer story than you need to hear, but very quickly got disillusioned and didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I was sort of wanted to go study in France. And my father gave me great advice. He said, he said, look, if there's something you want to study in France, I'll support you. But if you're going because you're bored in college right now, yeah then you're going to face that the rest of your life, figure it out where you are, which is really terrific advice. And I went on a camping trip by mistake, a a camping trip to train people to lead outdoor trips. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, it was the best six days of my life. It was life-changing. And I, you know, it rained for six days. I wore all cotton. I wore all the wrong things and people were helpful and I got to lead and I got to follow people. And I just, I just fell in love with it. And so that changed the trajectory. That camping trip changed the trajectory of my life. And then I, I started leading trips and then I started training people to lead trips. And I, I, I worked for Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School yeah. and Outward Bound and eventually started uh, my own company. But that really was the moment I shifted from what I thought would be a career in politics to a career in leadership, coaching and development. So were you disillusioned with when you were studying that with with politics or policies or what was it that you didn't like as much as you thought you would? Well, I'll give you the I'll give you then a the slightly moment. Yeah. longer answer. Yeah. Which was I the summer before I had worked in the Senate Democratic Policy Committee writing democratic policy for US relationship between Nicaragua and El Salvador and you know Nicaragua, El Salvador and the US. And I sat in a class, I was at Princeton and I was at the Woodrow Wilson School, which is their public policy school. And I sat in a class. I wasn't even 
I wasn't taking the class. I just sat in it that happened to be a class where they were talking about uh, Central American politics in the U.S. And people were talking about the relationship between Nicaragua and and the U.S. And Nicaragua is a communist uh, country. And nobody was suggesting the policy that I had written as policy when, you know, I was a junior in high school, but uh, that was the policy that was accepted. And I'd written it as policy and nobody was even mentioning it. So I sort of raised my hand and I said, look, I'm not in the class and I'm just sitting in, but I'm curious why no one's thinking about this idea. And students and the professor said, it's just not, a. and my, my idea was, we should have a relationship with every country, no matter its political leanings. We need to keep the communication open. We don't have to agree to anything. We don't, but we we shouldn't break diplomatic relations because we disagree with their form of government. And they were saying that is just not a viable policy for the U.S. government. And I was thinking, I'm like 18 now, and I'm not going to school to limit my idealism or the way I view the potential possibilities in the world. I'm going to like expand it and to look at how I can make it happen in the world. And right. It's got, like saying some people are just bad, right? Inherently bad yeah, is yeah, almost that exactly. argument. Yeah. Like you're mm-hmm. they're just endemically bad. And yeah. until they agree more with us, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. How's that how's that <laughs> right. how's that working out for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I just decided. And then the other thing was I was a very good debater. Um, and and it, certainly in college, it was very, very easy to be liberal and make conservatives look stupid. I mean, I don't know, you know who the audiences are and everything, but when you're 18 years old and you're talking to an 18-year-old crowd and you're trying to you know, win a debate by making the other side look kind of dumb, I was very, very good at that. But then I stopped for a moment and I thought, again, I'm in college. I'm here to learn. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not listening. And I didn't know how to listen and be in politics at the same time. I didn't actually, I wasn't sophisticated enough to understand how to do that. So I decided in that moment, I'm just going to drop out of politics completely, like go from a real leadership position to just drop out completely because I wanted to do college. I didn't want to like, just make myself look good. So what was it about those trips? I mean, was it, was it about people were coming on those trips to become obviously better leaders outside of the trip, but was there something within the trip that you just really saw like cause and effect in your ability to make a change through leadership? I mean, I, first of all, I I fell in love with the people in the trip. Like I just, it was like, you know, when you go on a trip like that, you're in the woods for, you know, in my case, the first one I did was six days, but you know, eventually I was leading 30 day expeditions and you are living the most simple form of humanity. Like you've got everything you need to survive on your back and you're moving from point A to point B with a group of other people that you have to get along with and work with in order to get there. Yeah. That is life. Like if you think of like- Before we complicate it, yeah. Yeah, that's like life reductionist, right? Like I'm on this planet and I'm trying to get from point A to point B and I'm doing it with a group of people that I got to live with and get along with. You know, if we could all figure that out, certainly as a country, we'd be a lot better off. And, and you know, as a world, we'd be a lot better off. And so I was very drawn to that. I was like drawn to the simplicity and the depth of that. It was just an amazing way to become really intimate with a group of people and, and work with them towards a common objective, which I've spent my life trying to do. Peter, maybe you should go back to your roots and 
take people from opposite parties into the woods for for a month these days. Maybe that seems like what we need. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's it's really not a bad idea. Seems seems like we need that. All right. So you led these trips for a while, and and then what? And then you started your own firm. Um, Yeah, I I realized. So I was like, I remember this moment, actually, I was in the woods sleeping in a sleeping bag under the stars. It was gorgeous. We were by a lake and I felt like, okay, I love this. This is great. I'm really enjoying myself and I'm going to want a family. I'm going to want to buy a house at some point. I'm going to want to like, my life is going to move in a certain direction that makes this particular lifestyle unsustainable. I could do this for another 10 years, but then I'm going to have to suddenly shift from this to probably something I don't particularly love doing in order to make a bunch of money. And I don't want to hit that point. So I'm going to step off of this track a little early and I'm going to keep doing what I love doing, but look for ways of doing it where I can make more money. So when I stepped out of the woods, in effect, I started working with you know, I, I started working with Outward Bound and I designed their corporate programs. And I started working on saying, how do I bring this into organizations and, and corporations? And then I started my own company doing it. And I was sort of interested in saying, how do I take these principles that I've learned in the woods and bring them to help people work effectively together in, you know, sort of more traditional corporate environments? And I did that for a while. And then I joined a consulting firm. I did an amazing project with a consulting firm that blew us all out of the water in terms of, you know, the impact that it had. And it, you know, it far exceeded what we thought we would be able to do. And they asked me to join them and start a practice with a group of other people there on transformational change in organizations. That was at the Hay Group. And so we started a practice called Hay Alliances and I joined them and I did that for four years. And then I did at the the latter part of that, the second half of that, I did an executive MBA. I kind of felt like there were gaps in my education and I wanted to fill out those gaps in my education. So coaching is such a big umbrella uh, these days. I think people don't necessarily know what it means. There's a million types. What when you work with teams or executives, what, what are you focused on individual t- change, organizational change? And then what are the like, what are the tools that you use? Is there a f- common framework or is each situation a little bit different? Right. I love your question because I think it's, I, I've designed some methodology coming off of some problems I've faced with coaching in organizations and worried about individual change and not organizational change at the same time. Yeah. And even just alignment. Like I go in, well, I'll give you the story, which is that I was coaching, that I was working, I was coaching the CEO of a company that grew very fast, literally in one year from $1 million to $100 million, right? In one year. And uh, I was close with him. I was coaching him. And he said, you know, can you, can you have one of your coaches? I, I have coaches who work for me. Can you have one of your coaches coach our head of Europe? So I said, yeah. So I had the coach do it. You know, and we followed all the rules of coaching. Like everything's confidential. You don't share any information. You know, it's the client's agenda. Blah, blah. Yeah. So I, about three months in, I said to the CEO, hey, uh, just want to check in with you. How's it going with this guy? And he said, well, great and not great. Great. Uh, he's doing all of the things that we've asked you to help him do. And we're going to fire him. And I said, wait, <laughs> what? I, what? <laughs> it doesn't compute. Like, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, look, 
we asked him to take initiative. We wanted him to take more initiative. We wanted him to be more visionary. We wanted him to bring people along. He's doing all of those things in the complete opposite direction that we're moving as an organization. Hmm. And I thought, huh, like that's on me, right? I mean, I'm coaching, I'm coaching the CEO. I know where they're going. One of my coaches is coaching the head of Europe and yet they are moving and, and we fulfilled our obligation. But did they consider that a positive direction he was moving, even though it was opposite or was it a negative or he, just different? What they, yeah. what they considered was his behaviors have changed. You have succeeded in helping him change his behaviors. Yeah. But he is, he is completely misaligned with where we're going as an organization. And if you have five different people coaching five different senior leaders in an organization, you're almost guaranteed to have that problem. Because if there is any misalignment in an organization, right, coaching works, which means that that misalignment will be amplified because everybody will get better at moving in the direction that they're moving in. And that there has to be some process for aligning the development work that's going on individually so that it not only helps people improve their performance and progress and develop, but it helps the organization move in a collective way. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, I mean, take using the sports analogy, you got a bunch of different coaches, but there's one playbook, there's one game plan, right? I mean, everyone's coaching aspects of the same thing. And imagine if every, I mean, it's a great analogy, Rob. And imagine if, you know, each of your top five players had different coaches who were all advising them different things. Right. And the goal is the same. We want to get as many points, 
but you know, there's no coordination. Everything's confidential. You're not sharing any information. You're, you're working completely independently with the five top players in a game where everyone understands the objective, but nobody's truly aligned with how they're going to contribute to moving that forward. This episode is brought to you by Stello Mints. We're living in an era of chronic stress and anxiety, and the pandemic has only made things worse. This has left millions of us trying to figure out how to cope with pressures at work and life. And one of the reasons I love doing the podcast is to share tips to help you manage stress and burnout, and the team at Stello are doing the same. Powered by CBD, Stello Mints are a fast and simple way to feel calmer and clearer throughout your day, even when juggling tasks. Each tin contains 30 mints, and they come in three bold flavors, peppermint, lemon, and matcha. I've been trying the peppermint flavor, and they really taste great. My wife has been enjoying them as well. And now for a limited time, you can get 20% off Stella Mints. Just go to StellaMints.com and use the code ELEVATE. That's S-T-E-L-L-O Mints.com and use coupon code ELEVATE for 20% off. So let's talk about your new book. Um, and I'm guessing you were a little intentionally provocative with the title since you're going you're going against some sacred cow here. You can change <laughs> other people. Uh, you know, cuts against a lot of assumptions and things I've said, right? You can only, well, I, I think there's, let, let me change it. You can change yourself and you can help change people who are who are willing. But what what prompted you to, to tackle this topic? And I guess this taboo of you're not going to change other people. Right. So look, I've said that too. And what one of the things that I've realized is every time I've said to someone, hey, look, I, I know you're trying to change what they're doing, but you know, you can only change yourself. Every time I say that, I'm trying to change that person, right? I'm trying to get them to stop trying to change someone else. So yeah. even the statement, whenever we say to someone else, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. We are actually saying that as a way of trying to change people. So the truth is, and you know this in your work, and, and I certainly know this in my work, I change people all the time. Like I could not do what I do if I didn't believe that you can change people. Like that's the fundamental underlying premise of coaching of my work is that you can change other people. Right. And so, but the problem is the way in which we try to change people almost always backfires. People don't resist change. They resist being changed. Uh, people change all the time. They get married, they have kids, they change jobs, they change strategies. But if you try to change them, forget it. That's a total loss of control. So, so, so is it is it is it what you're saying? There's sort of an objective thing. Like I could say to you, hey, Peter, you don't have to change, but you're the CEO of Acme. Here's what the board wants in the CEO of Acme in one to two years. And you're not doing that. And therefore you will not be the CEO of Acme in a couple of years. Yeah. If you know, right. Yeah. So some of that is it. I mean, I think the, the first step, we have a four step process yeah. in the book to do this effectively. And the first step is both a mindset and behavioral of becoming their ally instead of their critic. So almost always the reason our attempts to change people backfire is because we're trying to change them as a critic. We're giving them advice. We're telling them what we're doing wrong. We're frustrated and annoyed. We hold back, hold back, hold back, and then finally blow up because, you know, like, yeah, I can't change other people, but I'm really, really pissed, <laughs> right? Like we do things that create conflict and create uh, a sense of, of being attacked. And my question is like, when's the last time you changed after someone attacked you? 
right? Like it, it does. That's not an effective way of changing. No, you, you, you change when you realize what you're doing is not working and it's in the way of your own goals and objectives, right? And you could be vulnerable in exploring that when you yeah. feel like the person you're doing it with is on your side, is your ally, is supporting you. I've heard Marshall Goldsmith say this. I heard another coach say this, you know, interesting saying that like top coaches were like, look, we coach the willing and the best. We don't try, we're not, we're not trying to convince the unwilling because those people won't be good. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting uh, observation. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like there's a, there's a first move you can do to help them become more willing. And there's yeah. lots of moves you can do in order to encourage them to become less willing. But Ultimately, this is not a book about manipulation. This is not a book where you go, okay, I'm going to give you the words to use to trick someone into changing against their will, right? That is not the goal of the book. It's not the techniques in the book. It is saying, how do you set the stage and how do you approach this in a way that is most likely to be supportive of the people in your life who you want to help change so that you're happier and they're happier? All right. So back to the four steps, just so we're clear on them. So the first step is to become their ally. And, you know, there's a technique to it, which is really about asking permission. It's like, hey, you know, I've noticed this thing. Are you willing to have a conversation with me about it? If you're not willing to have a conversation with me about it, we're done. Like, I'm not, you know, like, but but if you're willing to have a conversation about it and, and, you know, actually, why don't I, I'll I'll explain the four steps in in a story, right? And to make it an example so that it's concrete. So um, Brian Gaffney, CEO of Allianz Global Distributors, and I coached him for many years. He brought the company from a $30 million loss to $140 million profit. So how did he do it? When he first came in and had the group that he had, the easy way that people do turnarounds is they just fire everybody and bring in new people, right? That would not be a good proof of concept that you can change other people. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not suggesting you could change out other people. I'm saying it right. So he, what he said to me is, look, my team is made of incredibly talented people, right? But most of them have issues uh, in the way that they, that's getting in the way of their effectiveness. Like one of them is clumsy, rubbing people the wrong way with clumsy communications. Someone's not clear with their direct reports. A third needs to be proactive. Uh, and have hard conversations. A fourth is sloppy, brilliant, but sloppy. Several people are commenting on the risk to his credibility. So, you know, the first thing to do is to be an ally. Go, okay, I want to help these people to be successful. I'm not here to criticize them. I'm not here to punish them. I'm not here to enforce consequences. I'm here to help them get better. I would like to turn this around with them. And I guess also to get permission. So let's just take the person who is brilliant, but sloppy. It's to go to him and to say, look, I've gotten this feedback. I've seen it myself. I think you're absolutely brilliant. But the way you present yourself, both physically and also in your communications, loses people. And and it's sloppy. And are you willing to think this through to me so that we can help you to become more effective? And the person was a little offended, uh, (laughs) right? Um, But said yes, right? So he said, great, step one. Step two, identify the outcome that you're going for. So most of us get stuck in a problem. Problem, I'm sloppy. How do you fix that problem? You get less sloppy. You dress nicer. Well, the outcome was to improve credibility, right? That's it. Exactly. And and actually, the outcome is even more than credibility. So the outcome that they came to is, I would like to have an impact on the people that I speak to 
that really clearly communicates my ideas so that they are influenced. Like I would like to increase my influence and I would like to increase my impact. I would like to close the gap between my intention and my impact. So we both agree I'm brilliant, but it's not landing. I would really love the brilliant things I have to say to have an impact in the world I want to have an impact in. Great outcome, super clear, positive, energizing. Step three is let's find the opportunity in the problem to help achieve the outcome. Like, what is the opportunity? In this case, it's pretty straightforward. It's getting super clear on what am I trying to communicate? And then how do I present myself and my ideas in a way that is most compelling and most uh, easily adopted by the people that I'm communicating with. And they're in that conversation and they go, okay, so if I'm coming there, first of all, what are my ideas? Are they clear? Are they succinct? Am I using good examples? That kind of thing. And now, great. That's really crisp. Look at yourself in a mirror, right? Your shirt's untucked, your top button's off. Your like, how do you present yeah. yourself in a way that reflects the clarity of your ideas? And now he can get on board. It's not just about someone saying you're sloppy. It's about someone saying, wow, I want you to present most effectively to influence with you know, the great ideas that you have. I don't want them lost. We both agree that it's not having the impact that you want. So now he's able to find and adopt that opportunity. And then the fourth step is what we call a level 10 plan, which is very specifically, what are you going to do starting tomorrow that can help to put this uh, into operation. They help operationalize it. This is the part that most coaches do very, very well, and they jump to, but they skip some of the middle parts. So if someone's saying, okay, I've gotten feedback, I'm sloppy, and say, all right, let's go shopping. You know, we'll get you a yeah. new suit, right? You know, but, but they miss all that middle part, which is really what makes the change and what makes the change stick. So those are the four steps. It's be an ally. It's identify the outcome, identify the opportunity, and create a plan. You know, there's something very similar in this to what I wrote in a Friday Ford a few weeks ago that I've noticed about like how you say no to someone or something like particularly when it's a client or 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 sort of a position of power or your boss. And what I've noticed is, again, same thing with feedback. You know, you have to kind of explain why it's bad for them. You know, you asked me to take on this thing and like, you know, blah, 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 I don't want to do it. But when you start to say, hey, if I chase these other three markets, the first two markets that we're going at at risk, or this other priority is going to distract, and then people start to un- seem similar here. You know, understanding where their shortcomings are are stopping them from getting the outcome that they want, rather than it's just something that bothers you, right? Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And now, can I can I tweak it a little bit? Absolutely. Which is when you're in the role of convincing them that it's not working for them you're more likely to elicit resistance because what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, let me show you why this isn't working for you. And now you've put them on the defensive. So if they're evolved, they'll be able to listen to you and say, thank you and take in the feedback, but they might go, well, I don't know. I mean, look at that time when it worked or look at that time when it worked. So ideally what you want to do is ask them the question that I remember Dr. Phil asking maybe 20 years ago. We're like, so how's that working for you? Yeah. Right. You know, like, let's get really clear about the outcome you want. This is the outcome you want. Like, let's get clear about that because you've got to measure it against the outcome. And then you ask the question, given that outcome, are you achieving it or not? And if you're not achieving it to the level that you want to achieve it, now let's work together to figure out how to close that gap. 
So when you're talking in these examples about the willing, so right. l- let's talk about the unwilling or let's talk about your mom or your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or the, the you know, or the thing where it's not so simple. I mean, what do you do in those, in those cases? Right. So let's use me as an example on yeah. this one, right? I eat too much sugar, right? My wife knows that I eat too much sugar. My wife also knows that I would like to stop eating sugar. Right. So I'm not really in the case of like, I don't. You also know that you eat too much sugar, but you might. So there are some people who don't know that they eat too much sugar. Don't know that. Right. Right. So maybe this isn't the best example. Yeah. But my point in using this example is I know all of those things and yet I don't change. So I'm, I, it's almost, um, maybe it's easier, maybe it's harder, but I know all the things and yet I'm resisting it. And there are things that she will do that are in total good faith and things I've even asked her to do that will incite my resistance anyway. Like if I'm on my third, if I'm on my second bowl of ice cream and she's like, do you really want that? Do you really want that? I can guarantee you that will lead to a third bowl of ice cream. Right. Right? Because, because it, it, I feel controlled, even though I'm the one who's asked for it. So the first thing is, and, and that's why this first step is the being an ally is to really get permission to think this through. And so if someone like me, let's say I'm, I'm eating too much ice cream and you see it and maybe you don't have my permission yet to talk about it and you don't know how to bring it up. And there are silver platter opportunities, by the way, there are times when, when someone complains to you, complaining is not a desire to change anything. It's complaining is a lack of accountability and they're, but they're complaining to you, but that's an opportunity to go like, Hey, you seem really upset about this eating sugar thing, Peter. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I get that it's hard to do. And but you've mentioned it a couple of times. Do you want to think through together how to change that? Now I might say no, and if I say no, your answer is okay, right? Because until I say yes, you're not going to have an effective conversation with me. Right. But the fact that you've opened it means that. I may be open in the future to come to you and go, hey, you know, it's now it's my sixth bowl of ice cream. And I think it would be useful to actually have that conversation you've offered to have in the past or at a different time or something. Um, And the other thing I'll just say is you can change other people. It doesn't mean you will change everybody you feel like changing, right? But it does mean that there is a lot of uh, stuff left on the table, that there's a tremendous number of people you can impact positively. If you're a leader, if you're a manager, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, it's your job to change them. And there's ways you're doing it that make it harder. And there's ways to do it that can make it a lot easier and more effective. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 
The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So, I mean, this gets to, this will be a multi-part question around how, how do you decide, particularly maybe in an organization, because again, ice cream and home is different than like, when do I have a leader who's just not going to change and I need them to change? I've generally said that I've seen feedback and change fall into three groups. So if you think about check-ins with three types of groups. First, people don't want any feedback and, and aren't going to do anything about it, right? <laughs> the second group acts like they hear you, but then you're having the same discussion three months later, same six months later. So that they sort of are, are maybe hearing, but not listening. Uh, is that or listening, but not hearing? Like, you know, they're saying it. And then the third group, I find you have a discussion about something and they fix it and you never hear about it again. And whatever it is next time, it's a different problem. I've actually often argued that the, the middle group is worse than the first group. Because at least in the first group, I know that you're just obstinate. Great. No, I love yes. this. I, yeah. love, I love this. I'm going to address each one of them. Okay. But the one I'm going to help you most with is the second group. Yeah, the second, the second group is the, the challenge. Is the challenge. And I'm like, gonna, I'm I heard, reframe it I heard, right, I heard you, Peter, whatever, and they just go back and do the same thing over right. again. I'm going to reframe that for you. Okay. okay. So with the first group, by the way, I just declined coaching. Yeah. Uh, someone came to me and, and this was, and this is especially true. I see this in the Valley a lot, which is someone who's, you know, high tech company. I don't need a coach. Yeah. Growth, right. <laughs> super successful. And they're like, you know what? I'm getting results. I don't care if I turn you off or if I strike you the wrong way. Um, that's your problem. Not my problem. I'm going to get the results that I'm going to get. And my answer was, I'm not going to coach them. <laughs> but I have a question in that case. Were you introduced yeah. by a board member or an investor? Clearly, they didn't call you. <laughs> right. So it's a board member yeah. who says, will you help this person? And my answer is no. They don't I want mean, to be helped. Yeah. They come to me and they say they want help. I'll help them. But by the way, I wouldn't spend money on helping them. Uh, you know, if I were you, like I, yeah. you know, it's, this is not a game of convincing them you know, and, and by the way, I've been in those situations too. I literally in one meeting, I was giving someone feedback and they were super defensive and they were giving me a reason why each one of the things weren't, wasn't true. And so I, about halfway through our conversation, we'd gone through a bunch of feedback, About halfway through, I got up and I said, all right, look, it's really been great meeting you. Clearly, clearly all of this feedback was wrong, right? Cause I hear you and there's reasons for all of it. All of this feedback wrong. So it's not, you know, it's really not worth your time or mine or any money you would spend on me to kind of address this. But anyway, I've really enjoyed meeting you. You know, I hope it was helpful in whatever it was. And I literally turn around and I'm walking out and I open the door and I'm walking out and he's like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> right. Because right? it's like, I'm not, you know, yeah. otherwise it's just a waste of our time. Okay. So that's one. Two, 
I want you to think of it differently. And there might be people who are just yesing you and then blowing you off. I would say more likely in my experience, it's people who see the need to change, who understand it and are unable to move the needle. And they're either unable because they can't bring themselves to do it, or they're unable because they it's a blind spot, or they're unable because they think they're doing it, but it doesn't come out right. For the, for the book, I did some demo coaching calls using this methodology. And just a couple of days ago, I coached a guy who, you know, he spent seven years as an individual contributor consultant, and then he joined a company and became a manager and became a leader. And he is slowing things down. And he's telling me this. This is coming from him. He said, I've gotten feedback. I slow things down. I hone in on problems and I work it until I make sure that everybody understands it in, in exactly the same way. If they haven't solved it, I go in there and I work to solve it. And so I said, look, here's the problem. The problem is you're acting like an individual contributor yeah. and you're a leader. That's the problem. And he brought it to himself. He's like, it's funny. When I take people on hikes, I'm always half a mile ahead of them, right? Because I'm just off on my hike and I forget. And really what I need to do, I guess, is to be behind them. And I'm like, great, you got it. So you got the concept, right? Big thing. Now, first of all, before I even had a 10-minute conversation with him, he didn't get the idea of what was going on. He didn't conceptualize it in that way. But that's not, we're not done yet. Because then the next step is, well, I know, this is back to Marshall Goldsmith and what got you here won't get you there. I know how to be a problem solver. I know how to be an individual contributor. I know how to solve complex problems. I don't know how to step aside and give people Let the space other people to do, do it. it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to, how to be satisfied with a suboptimum solution that they will execute. So the outcome will be better anyway than even if it were my personal you know, optimum solution. So now I can coach him to help him show up in with a new identity and in a new way. So that second group, mostly if they are willing to get my help, it's because they're not blowing you off when they're yesing you and then not changing. They're just struggling with how to do that. They don't know how to do that. And those are the groups that we can help the most, I think, and that this book is focused on. That's interesting. So yeah, I guess with that group, it's identifying where they, were they blowing you off and then getting them to say, look, I understand what you want me to do, but I don't know how to do it. Right. And yeah. then they're going to have to, they're going to have right. to open up to that. Yeah. And then it's, and then it's, it's simple in a certain sense. What's the outcome you want? I want to be a good leader of the teams. Yeah. Okay. So what's your opportunity? How do you have to show up? What are the, the challenges that the team's not getting to where you need it to go? That's the challenge. The team, that's the problem. The team's not getting you to where it needs to go. And you're, and the outcome you want is to be a great leader of teams. So how do you lead the team so they get to where they want to go, as opposed to you, you know, he said, I could step out of it completely. Well, that would be one solution to you not getting in the way, but it's not a solution to you helping them get to where they want to go, right? So what else could you do, right? And it's like, how do you actually develop the skill to show up in, the, in a way that supports the group in getting to a solution that they can then execute? And that's, a, that's the question. Look, there, and there's a whole nother discussion that I've written on this, I think, which is really interesting. And I'm sure you run into this, but there are a lot of individual contributors who have moved into leadership roles that have no interest in leadership, nor should they be in leadership <laughs> because they get, they get all of their 
personal, I, I always go back to the book. Uh, my son in preschool had to read like the what fills your bucket sort of yeah. book, you know, like the, but what fills their bucket is doing them themselves. It's just not coaching other people to do it. And they've been told that this is how you move ahead. And, and they're pushed into that ladder. A hundred percent. So I'll, I'll reinforce that with two ideas. One is I've literally redesigned career paths for Goldman Sachs, for Morgan Stanley, for a number of financial services firms. Yeah. And we have built career paths for people. Producers. Yeah. For producers, for people <laughs> yeah. to continue to be individual contributors so you can succeed without having to manage. And the second is, you know, I'll use myself as an example, which is I've built my company multiple times, probably three times in my life to where we've had, you know, over a hundred people and offices in five different countries. And the last time I did it was probably about six or seven years ago. And I brought in a new COO and I, and my mother, I said to my mother, uh, who's now 91, you know, yeah, so this is what we're doing with the company. And she goes, she's French with an English accent. But she goes, darling, didn't you do that several <laughs> times before and you didn't like it very much? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I get trapped in that too. I keep thinking I will be more successful if I build a big company. Yeah. And I coach people all the time. That's what I do for a living. But the reality is, I love coaching. I love speaking. I love having this conversation with you. I love writing. I don't like running a big business. Like I don't, I'm not, that's not my forte. That's not my strength. That's not where I should be spending my time. So, you know, uh, there's that too, which is to say, change your concept of what you should be doing. If you really don't love doing that thing that you think will make you successful. And, and that there's always the cobbler's kids too. So I'm curious, you, you gave the ice cream example, but what's an example of someone who was able to successfully change you? Oh, that's a great question. The ice so, cream example was unsuccessful. Unsuccessful, like. yeah. Yeah. right. Well, it's getting more successful. It's slowly chipping away at the, at the ice. So successfully changing me. God, I feel like uh, so many different people. You know, we've talked about Marshall is interesting. Because, you know, Marshall and I have coached together. I've never really double coached before. I've never, you know, in 25 years of coaching, I've never coached, at, you know, with someone else in partnership. We've had, we've had multiple coaches on someone, et cetera, but it's never been in the same room all the time. So I've done that with Marshall. And it's great because we have different styles and I learn a tremendous amount from him. And so one of the ways that I've changed is and I notice this from things that he says to me, and then also from just his model, he's very, very simple about the way he sees the world in a brilliantly crystal way. So, you know, he'll say, talking to a CEO of a company uh, that's part of a parent company who, who wants to make her own decisions for that company, you know, he'll say, CEO. Good owner, better. <laughs> you know, like, like it's very simple. You could be CEO of a company, but if there's an owner, they are going to have the last word. The person who has the power has the power to make decisions. So I watch him do that stuff and I go, wow, that's great. I could be so much more crisp and so much more. There's also people, there, there's you know, a woman named Ann Bradney who has been a teacher of mine for a long time. And I watch her do things. And I, and she's, you know, my book leading with emotional courage, which is the book that precedes this one um, that came a lot from my work with her. And I see her work with people and I go, wow, you are doing something 
that I don't understand, but has tremendous impact. Yeah. Teach me. I want to learn. I want you to change how I'm doing things so that I can get better at this. The openness is there. And I guess the last example I'll give you is when the openness is not necessarily there, but you know, Eleanor, my wife, will tell me, will watch me with one of my kids and say, you're doing stuff that's not very effective, you know, or that's not having, and it will take me a minute for myself to be like, okay, shame. Like I got to deal with my own shame. I got to take that out. I got to, it's not, you know, it, cause, cause you know, when someone criticizes us, we very quickly go into shame and the easiest way to handle shame is denial. So if I feel shame about something, I'll just say that's not true. And then I don't feel shame anymore. Right. And, and so we have to, that's why that first step of becoming an ally of approaching someone with care and love and, you know, not as an attack is so important because you don't want to incite their shame. So, so when I'm not in that place of shame, I could say, huh, well, what's the outcome I want? The outcome I really want is to have a great relationship with my kids and help them continue to grow, like be able to set boundaries. So every time I get into a fight with them, that's an opportunity to do that better, right? To listen more effectively, to understand what's going on for them, to crystallize where's the boundary, how am I overreacting versus reacting? You know, like there's all sorts of emotional stuff that goes on, but I can just set a boundary. What's the boundary? So she's been very helpful and I'm still working on it and I'm still looking for advice and support about setting the right kinds of boundaries in an unemotional way so that my kids are both safe and that I can have a strong relationship with them. That is helpful. So Peter, where can people learn more about you and your work? So P, uh, Bregman Partner, I almost forgot my website, <laughs> BregmanPartners.com, B-R-E-G-M-A-N-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S.com. And everything's there. You can find out about the book. You can find out about my work at BregmanPartners.com. You guys consult all over the world, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, we consult around the world. We do a lot of coaching. I mean, most of my work is is coaching C-suite and and senior leaders and organizations. I also run a leadership intensive of four. It was actually ranked the number one leadership program in the world uh, by Global Gurus called the Leadership Intensive. I do it once a year. I limit it to about 20 people. And it's around emotional courage work, but it's like really deep, intensive, transformational work. It's super fun. The number one comment people give me after the intensive is, had I known what we were going to do over the last four days, I never would have come. So it's, intense. Then, it, it's intense. It's intense. But yeah. then they say it's the best thing I ever did in my life. So it's still hard to market for that reason. <laughs> I, look, I, I resonate with that. I signed up for this company uh, bicycle event like two years ago. We did from biking 24 hours from London to Paris. I was oh just like, God. I signed up and all this stuff. And then the week before, I'm printing out the stuff and reading it and the training and the liabilities. I'm like, actually, if I had paid attention what? to what we're, what we're doing. <laughs> I might not have signed up for it. So sometimes right. it's better not to get too much details up front. So it's true. Did you do it by the way? I did it. Yeah, it was incredible. 24 hours of biking. Uh yeah, it was about it was about 20 hours of biking. So we had to make it in 24 hours. There was a barge in the middle of that right. that we got a little bit of rest on. But, you got a little rest on the barge yeah, going across yeah. the channel. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, How many miles was that? Uh 180, I think. Wow. Good for so, you, man. Yeah, I, I, need, awesome. I, I need to get back to that. So, well, Peter, thanks for coming by and sharing your story with us. Excited for, for the book launch and um, really uh, looking forward to seeing what you do next.
Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking with you. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Peter and his new book, You Can Change Other People, on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.